Welcome to episode 616 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music shows, and games. And once again, we have no feedback, Josh. So I think you need to implore our listeners to potentially reach out and tell us what they think, what's going on in their entertainment centers, whatever. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Maybe it's because the email address is too complicated or too long. <laughs> we could change that. I mean, we, we could, you know. Yeah. But the, the, the email address as it stands is entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. Or just go to the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com, and you'll find all of our contact information. Maybe you're like, guys, it's 2023. No one uses email anymore. We're on Mastodon. Well, Richard and I are on Mastodon, too. I'm on Twitter. The website's on Twitter. Like, There's a lot of ways that you can get a hold of us. So if you don't like the ridiculously long email address, there are other options. Just head over to the show notes, and you'll find them all. There you go. And if you're on Mastodon, depending on where you are, you could potentially write us a ridiculously long message. <laughs> Do some of them have like crazy long oh, maximums? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're not all limited at 500. Some of them just like let it out and it just makes me crazy. I want a filter that lets me block messages above a certain character count. Wow. Yeah, that's... Do you, do you remember when, when Twitter first launched what they called it? what they like, called it like like what they called that that medium yeah microblogging microblogging right right nothing right. micro about a post that's more than 500 characters yeah right exactly Sheesh. <laughs> people are writing novellas out there get a blog right. like i've always said get a blog <laughs> get a uh what's that newsletter thing that everybody uses now <laughs> oh stack? yeah uh, substack Substack. There you go. Get a Substack. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not even cool enough for one of those. So. <laughs> what I am cool enough for is to host a nerdy podcast about uh, entertainment technology, though. So let's jump into that. And as usual, we'll start off with some video news. It's March. It's kind of a crazy month, you might say. And a lot of people get that March madness and want to watch a million college basketball games. Like I'm literally stifling a yawn right now. <laughs> you don't get into this at all? Not at all. You don't make a bracket or anything? Oh, come on. Are you kidding? But there's so many fun ways to make brackets, like favorite colors, or I'm only rooting for teams from the conference where I went to school. or. No. Best mascots. Like, there's all sorts of fun ways to fill out a bracket, Richard. No, just not there. <sighs> okay. Well, for the rest of humanity that is there. <laughs> <laughs> not quite humanity. At least the rest of the vast majority of the population of <laughs> the United States. You might also be interested in watching these games. Although, like... Maybe not, because some people just get into the bracket stuff. But if you do actually want to watch some March Madness games, they're making it fairly easy on you this year, if, if you're a cord cutter or not. So there's, there's a few different ways to do this. But the main way is a new app that is called March Madness Live. And 
there's there's going to be a few few other options here and some important details and and all of them wrap around the networks that have the rights to to show all of the content this year. And this year it's CBS Sports, Warner Brothers Discovery, all of that. So lots of games that are going to be on CBS, uh, but also some on some of the other CBS channels like TBS, TNT, and True TV. So some of them will just be on, on CBS and you can just watch them over the air if you've got that. Or of course, if you have a paid TV service, cable, satellite, YouTube TV, that sort of thing, they'll all be available through those. But you can also use this March Madness Live app on your mobile devices, on their website, on your streaming boxes. This is on Android TV, Apple TV, Fire TV, Google TV, Xbox One. Most places you can get this app. And if the game is on CBS, you should be able to watch it for free in all of them. Uh, <laughs> you should be able to watch it in the app on all of those devices. If it's on one of the paid TV channels, TBS, TNT, or True TV. You will need to sign in with a paid TV provider subscription to, to use the app. Now, here's some of the cool things about using these apps. There's a lot of games going on at the same time. So maybe you want to watch a couple of them at the same time. And this app allows you to do that. So if you're watching on one of those TV platforms, you can watch two games at the same time. If you want to watch four games at the same time, you can do that on the website. You don't get quite as much control over what four games you're watching. They kind of pick them for you, but you do get the ability to watch four college basketball games at the same time. The streaming quality of all of this should be pretty good. They're streaming the games in 1080p with 5.1 audio. I would obviously prefer that it be 4K, but 1080 still ought to look pretty good. If you can't bear to be away from a game, even while you're driving, there's Android Auto and CarPlay support, which will stream the radio broadcast of these games. And if you already have the Paramount Plus app installed, and there's a game that's streaming on CBS, you can definitely watch it inside of the Paramount Plus app for free. You don't need a Paramount Plus subscription if you're going to watch a game that's on your local CBS affiliate. So a few different options, but not so many options that it's confusing. It's basically just watch it on TV like normal or use this March Madness Live app and maybe the Paramount Plus app if you want, but frankly, use the the March Madness Live app because you're going to get more features out of it. So I have a question. Yeah. What does Warner Brothers Discovery have to do with this? Because you didn't mention them at all in any of these apps or services. That's a good question. But uh, they're apparently part of this app. Oh, okay. So maybe they're providing, I don't know, I'm guessing, maybe they're providing the technical backbone for this or something. Who knows? Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. I I I don't get that part of it either, but I didn't want to leave it out. So. Interesting. The four-up yeah. thing is a little bit, I mean, I don't know, maybe... I'm being picky because I don't really personally care, but it seems a little bit short of what I think people would really want, which is that four-up sports bar experience that we've talked about many times with different services and TVs and 
even what you can do with uh what is ATS uh ATSC three O or I'm not saying that right. Anyway, so the fact that you can't pick what you want to see and put it in a four up experience and do it on your TV seems like a big miss. And I hope that's something that they're prioritizing for delivering in future years, because I would expect people would want that. I would expect that too. Unfortunately, there's an option if that's what you if that's what you really, really want, you do have an option. But it will require you to subscribe to YouTube TV because they are providing that option. It sounds like you're going to be able to pick from any of the games that are on at, at that time. So that should give you what you're looking for there. Uh, but yeah, they are bringing out this multi-view, four, four up at a time uh, functionality to YouTube TV. They even said that it's on all devices. And I don't think they just mean TV devices. Like maybe you could do this on a phone, but that would be insane. Like phones may be big nowadays, but not big enough to watch four basketball games at the same time. No, but if you have that and maybe you're casting it, or if you have it on your tablet, or mm. if you have it on YouTube TV on the web, which I occasionally use to watch news or something, that could be mm. a pretty cool experience. Yeah, for sure. So here's the part where it gets a little tricky, though. So b- before you rush off and drop $65 a month for YouTube TV, it sounds like they're slowly rolling this feature out to people. It it doesn't sound like it's necessarily available for everybody right now. <laughs> now would be a good time. Now would be a fantastic time. But I I, I don't know if this is actually a defense, but in their defense, they're... they're building this functionality for future events also so you could maybe see this with a, a grand slam tennis tournament or i don't know the world cup or the olympics or something like that where you could be watching uh, multiple things at the same time through the service so mm-hmm. eventually this feature will be available for everybody but it doesn't sound like it's available to everybody just yet, which is how Google rolls things out. Like they slowly oh, yeah. roll things out to people from from the back end. So we'll see. Hopefully this is something that they just decide, all right, it's good. Just push it live for everybody because man, would I be mad if I was like, here's my 65 bucks and then I wasn't able to do that. Yeah, that would be weird. It's funny you say that. Just today, I noticed a Gmail redesign on one of my accounts that I had never seen before. And of course didn't match anything else in anything, any other Google product that I was using at the time. Like, man, they just, they just can't leave well enough alone. They've, they're constantly changing it. Continuous improvement. That's what we call it in the industry. Right. As long as it's actually improvement. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And getting access to watching four things at once is definitely improvement. I would say it is. All right. Well, next up, we're going to talk about a new experience on Roku. And I think that calling this a new experience is probably a little bit of hyperbole. I think I would call this accurately an OS upgrade because Roku is rolling out OS 12, Roku OS 12. And this is going to enhance some of the features that they already have on Roku devices and add some new stuff too. So the first interesting thing is that they're 
their live TV service is going to add local live news stations. And this doesn't mean like what Google's done, where you can access your local TV networks and only your local TV networks. This means it's going to have live local news stations. I don't even know where those come from. <laughs> and they're going to be for various markets from across the entire country. And you'll be able to watch any one of them anywhere you are. So if you're from Chicago, but you happen to be traveling to Poughkeepsie, I don't know if that's a good example. Probably not <laughs> that far away. Let's let's say you're traveling to San Francisco and you want your Chicago news, you can still watch your Chicago news. So that's pretty cool. I like that they're doing that. And it's not that dissimilar from some of the TV Anywhere stuff that you can get and that I've noticed on Channels DVR, for example. When you have your TV Anywhere service, you can get a whole bunch of different news stations from different markets and just choose which one, which market you want to watch. Also, they are adding new channels. Specifically, they are adding premium subscription channels. And you know what that means? That means paid premium subscription channels. So just like so many of these other devices have the ability to add on a paid service, you'll be able to add a paid channel to your Roku service. I don't know what the immediate providers are going to be on this, and they didn't go into a lot of detail on it, but think of things like where you're, if, for example, you have Amazon Fire TV, you can add on things like AMC Plus or Showtime or what have you. I would anticipate that they're going to be adding those same sorts of services, whether it's all of the same or not, or something different, we don't really know yet. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a, a list of the ones that they're launching with would be nice, but it's you also expect that it's going to continue to increase and increase and increase to the point where it's most of the things that you would want. Yeah, yeah, but remember, this all also comes down to deals, and mm -hmm. who knows what kind of money they're going to come to the table with to partner with different providers. So we'll we'll need to see how this plays out. And Roku doesn't have a great history of <laughs> doing that well. No, no, they don't. <laughs> all right. Well, you also may know that. There's a sports section in Roku, and they are enhancing the sports features in Roku to add golf and much more soccer. And included in that much more soccer is going to be games with Spanish commentators. So if you're watching in an area where, where you speak Spanish, or if you're, you just speak Spanish wherever you are, then you'll be able to enjoy watching those games in your own language, which is a nice thing. And in addition to that, they're adding additional sources to the content, so additional providers. And these providers are going to be like CBS Sports and NBC, NBC Sports, MLB TV, the NBA. So you'll be getting more content available overall in the sports section. And then finally, in terms of the overall service, they're adding a continue watching 
section to the what to watch. What to watch is where they recommend things that you may be interested in. Well, now they're also going to keep track of stuff that you've watched so that they can recommend the next episode or maybe the next movie in a series of movies. So this is pretty similar to what other curators of content that you're watching are doing. It's good to see that they're adding this. I think we might have even hinted at them doing this when uh, in an earlier news release that this was something that they were considering. So it's it's a good way of rounding out this sort of service for them. It's only going to be for supported channels. And if you know this game from Google or Apple or Amazon, those supported channels are going to depend on who they can set the deals with. Like on Apple, I can't get any recommendations for what I want to watch on Netflix. It's not tracking what I watch on Netflix. Netflix won't play. Netflix wants to be in control of their own experience on Apple TV. The same is true for other different services on Google TV and on Amazon. So expect that same sort of thing here. It won't be everything, but it should be the majority of the primary services that you use. Well, it looks like it's starting, though, with just Disney+. Plus. And uh, God, I just had the tab open. How did I forget already? And <laughs> sorry, not Disney Plus, Discovery Plus and Amazon Prime Video. That's it. And then eventually BET Plus, Freevee. Uh, that's the one with all of the extra E's uh, from Amazon, Friendly TV and Stars. So like they're still missing a whole bunch of the big ones. Right, you know. but they're just launching this. I mean, you have to imagine they're going to get a lineup to make this useful. <clears throat> yeah. But my caution is that don't expect that they're going to get everything because nobody has everything. Right. But how is it that this functionality is just now coming to Roku? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. There is that. And then one more thing that I wanted to mention they're updating the app experience. I'm not going to go into the details on what they're doing, but I mean, that Roku app could use all kinds of new love. So <laughs> it's good to see that they're spending some time updating it. Frankly, I'd like to see a whole new app experience entirely. They're not doing that. They're just adding some features. Yeah. And we're not really going to go into what that looks like because it's hard to just hard to describe over an audio podcast. So go and check out a YouTube video if you want to see what that's going to look like. All right. Well, next up, we have some audio news. Apple, as many have been anticipating for literally over a year now, is finally launching its own standalone classical music app. This is expected, and I'm using their exact words. It's expected on March 28th. They're not saying on <laughs> March 28th. It's expected on March 28th. Now, if you remember any of the history of this, over a year ago, actually two years ago, they bought a music service called Primephonic. It was a classical streaming music services. And shortly after acquiring it, they shut it down. And the idea was that they were going to incorporate all of its goodness in their music service. They're sort of doing that. 
And I say sort of doing that because they're actually releasing a whole new app. So you have Apple Music. That's an app. And remember, Apple Music was one of the things that came out of iTunes, along with podcasts and what is now called Apple TV. Now there's another, Apple Music Classical. And it is going to be designed from the ground up to make it easy to find and play any classical music that you're interested in. And you're going to have all kinds of search capabilities and playback capabilities that don't really apply to regular popular music tracks. So think about if you're listening to symphonies, they may have movements. You may search for things by what particular orchestra has uh, done the performance. You might search on them by the composer. You might search on them by the conductor. So all kinds of capabilities that aficionados of classical music really care about. So that's a cool thing. That's a really cool thing. It's also going to be smart enough to play classical music the way it's intended to be played. So if you have, for example, a symphony where the different movements blend into each other seamlessly, it's going to do that automatically if you're playing the entire symphony. So all kinds of really cool capabilities. It's going to offer spatial audio capability on, they say, thousands of recordings. I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping it's going to be the majority of the catalog at some point, but they're, right now they're just saying thousands. Just a reminder, two thousand is thousands, plural. Uh, your math checks out. Right. right. And your grammar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's also going to be uh, high-res lossless up to one... 192 kilohertz, 24 bit, so good quality audio. It is. Oh, there's going to be people screaming that it's not 192 enough. kilohertz isn't enough. It's not enough. I know it's not enough. <sighs> All right, we're not talking bit rate. We're talking kilohertz. I mean, oh, that, oh, that's true. That's right. I, you're right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes. That 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 is high. <laughs> we're used right. to listening to like 41 or 44. Right. So this is very good. But you're right. There will still be people that are, com I guarantee it. Anyway, mm -hmm. here's the kicker. You must have an Apple Music subscription to take advantage of all of this. So it's going to be something that's just kind of added on as part of Apple Music. And you'll get this other classical music experience in the Apple Music classical app, but you got to have that Apple Music subscription to have access to all of it. They're also talking about an Android version of the app, which is not that surprising because you can get Apple Music for Android as well. So that's a good thing. And like I said, expected, not coming, expected on March 28th. You may remember that date from last week. We talked last week a lot about a couple speakers that are going to add Apple audio streaming capability with spatial audio. I am convinced it's not a coincidence. They haven't announced anything specifically about compatibility with Apple Music Classical and Sonos, but I would expect that that's part of that launch. 
Yeah, and and so we're we're talking about the Sonos. The Era three hundred is the one that does spatial audio, and they they did specifically say Apple Music spatial audio, right? But but, but not you're right, they Apple Music classical, right? Right, because it hadn't been announced yet, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good thought. I think you're probably right there. All right, well, let's move on. That's that's good stuff. Now let's move on to some frustrating stuff in in the gaming world because I'm so sick of this but but this news from the the microsoft slash xbox acquisition of activision blizzard was too ridiculous for me not to bring up this week so more and more court filings continue to come out and this one is nuts so someone from sony in one of these court filings and i'm just going to read you the quote when referring to Call of Duty, said, if this acquisition goes for, goes through, Microsoft might release a PlayStation version of Call of Duty where bugs and errors emerge only on the game's final level or after later updates. Even if such degradations could be swiftly detected, any remedy would likely come too late, by which time the gaming community would have lost confidence in PlayStation as a go-to venue to play Call of Duty. Sony is accusing Microsoft of potentially sabotaging, sabotaging. The, the game on Sony's platform. Really? With, with no, no cause whatsoever. Right. Well, the, the, the cause, of course, would be to, to basically force people into playing on Xbox. You want the bad no, experience? No, no, no. But I mean, Play on Xbox. they have no cause for making this claim. Oh. Right. They have no reason to believe based on every legal agreement Microsoft has been willing to enter into with them to make this work, that they would do this. If this is their worry, fine. Write this into the agreement too. This is just, this is classic stonewalling. They are just doing everything they can to put a poison pill on this deal. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the simple logic would would point out why they wouldn't do this if if Microsoft intentionally released an extra buggier version for the PlayStation gamers would figure it out right away and who would they be mad at not Sony right. they're not going to be like well i guess i'm done with PlayStation they would be mad at Microsoft and they would make it clear and known far and wide and Microsoft would face the wrath of doing this. Also, why does Microsoft want to buy Activision Blizzard? To make more money. <laughs> does intentionally releasing a buggy version or a stripped down version of Call of Duty on PlayStation make them more money? Not as much as they could if they just released a good version of Call of Duty on PlayStation. It's these are just stupid ridiculous arguments also it would cost them more to intentionally have two separate releases like two different code bases one that's going to be more buggy on a different platform and then have to manage the cleanup from that anybody that does software development knows that it's much more costly to fix something after it's already out there than if you just make it work right the first time right right sony also claimed that if this acquisition happens, that Microsoft 
might make Xbox Game Pass the only multi-game subscription service where Call of Duty is available. That one, on the surface, sounds potentially reasonable. Except that Microsoft submitted their own filing that said any Call of Duty game in a Microsoft multi-game subscription, i.e. Game Pass, is eligible for inclusion in Sony's multi-game subscription service at the same time and for the same duration. So there aren't limits. It's not going to be an Xbox Game Pass exclusive. It can be on Sony PlayStation Now so or again, PlayStation Plus. What they're saying is Microsoft might do something that they specifically said in a legal document they wouldn't do. <laughs> right. It, it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. This this needs to end and it needs to end soon. And it partly needs to end soon because of the next game that I want to talk about. Uh, one of the, the franchises that, that Blizzard has has had for more than a couple of decades at this point is the Diablo franchise. Diablo 4 comes out in June, June 6th, because they're trying to get as close to 666 as possible for Diablo's release, which is <laughs> awesome. And... I really want this acquisition to go through so that I can get the next Call of Duty game in Game Pass, but also because I really want to check out Diablo 4 and I want it to be in Game Pass also. Well, there's also a closed beta of Diablo 4 launching this coming weekend. And as is the case with most game uh, closed betas, you only get access if you pre-order the game. And I'm still trying to be hopeful that this acquisition is going to close in time for me to get... Diablo 4 in Game Pass, and I'm not going to have to pay money for this. So I'm not pre-ordering it. Plus, pre-ordering games is kind of dumb. Like, wait until you find out if it's actually good before you give them money for it. But there's another option, and it's kind of hilarious and kind of ridiculous. Blizzard has a promotion going on right now with KFC. Yes, Kentucky Fried Chicken. If you go on the KFC website or the KFC mobile app, and order a chicken sandwich. They're, they're of course, promoting it with this ridiculous double-down sandwich, which I'm putting the word sandwich in quotes, because if you don't know what the double-down is, instead of it being like a chicken sandwich on a couple of pieces of bread, like a normal sandwich, the bread is replaced with two fried chicken tenders. <laughs> and then the meat of the sandwich is some bacon and some Parmesan cheese and ranch dressing and all of that. What a mess. <laughs> you don't have to get the double down. You can get any of their chicken sandwiches, <laughs> but that thing sounds insane. I mean, I was excited for a minute there. I'm like, well, heck I'll go and buy a sandwich from KFC. I'm a fan. Right. Right. But ew. <laughs> But you, yeah. So this works. I did it. I went and ordered a, a chicken sandwich. Um, I, I saw a lot of posts from people online who said, you know, if you're ordering it online for pickup, there's nothing that says you have to go pick it up. Like if you're grossed out by this food, you could just order it and call it a <laughs> a, a, a $5 investment in the closed beta for Diablo. I didn't quite go that far. I did eat the chicken sandwich. It was good. It wasn't better than Chick-fil-A. 
So there you go. That's your option. The the closed beta is this coming weekend. So hopefully you're listening to this right as it's being released and you can go and get your chicken and access to Diablo 4. If not, there is a public open beta next weekend. So pretty much everybody will be able to get in on that action. I can't not follow that chicken sandwich discussion without saying you got to try the Popeye's chicken sandwich. It's really good. Huh. Do we have a Popeye's nearby? I think we do. I'm not a big fried chicken guy, so I don't know where all of the fried chicken places are. Their chicken sandwich is wonderful. Sharp Dressed Penguin in the chat lives near me. He would know if there's a Popeye's nearby, so so let me know. All right, last gaming story of the week, and that is uh, a follow-up to a story that we talked about a few episodes ago. Xbox has confirmed that they will not actually be at E3 in June. That and that means that this means something very specific. It means that they're not going to have a, a a space on the floor at the convention center. It doesn't mean that they're ignoring E3 altogether because they announced this as they were announcing that they're going to be doing their large press conference like they always do on June 11th. The Sunday before E3 opens. So they're still basically taking part in E3. They're just not going to be on the show floor. And that's disappointing if you're a gamer who was thinking of going to E3 for the days that are open to the public. And it could be disappointing to other uh, other people in the industry specifically because a lot of a lot of effort around these shows is actually around business networking, setting up meetings with other potential customers and partners and all of that sort of stuff. And not being at E3 means that they don't have that that opportunity, but I which I would be more concerned about for indie developers. Right. And Microsoft is really big at trying to get indie developers on the platform, but I'm not even that concerned about that because in a couple of weeks, there is another big conference going on in the video game space. It is called GDC, the Game Developers Conference. This is not for game players. This is for game developers. And Microsoft is like headline sponsor and they will be there and they will be talking to all sorts of game developers to try to get them on the Xbox platform. So it feels like if they were thinking about the business aspect of this, that they thought, it's a better use of our time to be at GDC for the business partnerships. And we just don't need to be on the show floor for the gamers because just get an Xbox Game Pass subscription and then you've got access to everything anyway. Yeah, this doesn't, um, I'll say that differently. This reminds me a lot of what they did at CES, right? Mm-hmm. At CES, they pulled back their presence. They were no longer a keynote present uh, presenter. They were no longer on the floor, but they were still there. They had a presence around. Mm-hmm. The difference was that, and you and I know this firsthand, the small guys lost from that. The small guys didn't get an audience. They didn't get the opportunity to meet with people because that's not what Microsoft was there for. Right. Microsoft was there for the business deals. whereas. It sounds like in this case, they have another venue where they can specifically go and meet with the vendors that they want to meet with who might be providing content for them. 
Right. And who knows? Maybe they'll still be there in a similar fashion as they are with CES. But, you know, they don't announce themselves as a big exhibitor at CES anymore, despite the fact that they're still there, just not on the show floor. You You kind of have to be in the know. I mean, you have to be on the inside. You have to have a connection to get a Microsoft meeting. And for, you know, companies in the lower rung, that's a harder thing to do. Right, right. Similarly, Nintendo also confirmed that they will not be at E3. This was not surprising at all. Of the, well, we knew that Sony wouldn't be because they haven't been there in a few years. But same with Nintendo. They might not even do a Nintendo Direct, which is their their smaller press conference things that they do. They just don't have as much to announce this year. Their biggest game of the year is the new Zelda game, and it comes out in May for E3. So we're just not expecting much out of Nintendo. So it doesn't make sense for them to try to to coordinate things with this artificial event, you know, the the artificially timed event of, of E3. It just doesn't make sense for what they're doing this year. Ouch. 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 What? Well, I mean, I don't think it's fair to call E3 an artificially timed event, right? That's like when Macworld, which was where fans around the world literally went for Apple information and then to see Apple vendors and Apple eventually decided, you know what? We're tired of this being a deadline for us. We already have our own deadline with our developers conference. So we're not going to come to this anymore. And it literally killed the conference. (laughs) Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm not trying to say like artificially timed arbitrary is maybe the word that I was actually looking for. That's better. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I think of these types of events, it's really well-timed within within the calendar year. You know, we, we kind of poke fun at CES all of the time at, at the fact that it's right after Christmas and all of the products getting announced aren't going to come out until the second half of the year at best. <laughs> until <frequently>. maybe ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Whereas at E3... Most of the games that are launching are launching in Q3 and Q4. So you've only got a couple of months of anticipation to, you know, and, and marketing time to, to build up the hype for those games in, instead of having announcements. And now, granted, this happens, you know, Xbox's big press conference at E3 last year, they said every game we show you today will be out within the next year. So they did go out further than, than, than last year's holiday season and they didn't meet the date on at least a couple of them because some of those games have already been delayed into the third quarter now but most of them (laughs) did come out in that time window all right well i've yammered on about gaming stuff long enough and we want to keep richard awake so to do that let's ask richard what's been going on in his entertainment center i watched the last of us season finale josh tell me you're close to finishing this game I'm not uh, very close at all. <laughs> wow. Wow. It was so, so good. Even listening to the podcast wrap up afterward was an emotional experience. It is such a good story. And from what I understand, from what they say, it is very true to the conclusion of the first game. So, 
I think that helps answer the question that you had, which is, is this limited in scope to the first game? And as I understand, they've introduced various random things that may be known from the second game, but the storyline is all based on the first game or the DLC from the first game. Yeah. Yeah. And and I had some other friends confirm that also. And the version of the game that I have, the PlayStation 4 remaster, does include that DLC. So I've got it all. I just need more time to play it. Yep. <laughs> play it because, wow, it's just so, so good. So All right. We also finished a Discovery of Witches. And I had mentioned we were near the end of the last season of that. And frankly, I didn't know if they were going to wrap it up or not. I went into watching the conclusion of season three, not knowing if it had just not been renewed or if this was the intentional conclusion. I am happy to report it was the intentional conclusion. And it was a really, really good one. I didn't realize until halfway through the next to last episode that this whole series is an allegory to stuff that goes on in our own world. And I love that. I just love the way they did that. So if you have AMC Plus and if you happen to be someone who's interested in supernatural themed types of stories, I highly recommend this. It, I will admit season two was a slog, but it's all very interesting, if not a little bit confusing, and a, a, overall a really cool story. So that's mm. a Discovery of Witches from AMC. Also- Not Discovery. No, not Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, also- since we finished that, we decided that we would go back to Penny Dreadful. We stalled in our rewatch of Penny Dreadful, a Showtime series, also about Victorian horror kind of and, and mystique kind of stuff. And it is very, very good. We finished season two, and now we are going to be rewatching the third and final season of that next. The Oscars happened this past weekend, and I don't watch the Oscars live. I watch the Oscars on a full buffer, which means that <laughs> I record it, and then I skip through the boring parts and watch the interesting parts. And I will say, I, will, I, I can't remember, nor would I be able to properly pronounce his name, but um, uh, the, the various actors from actors and actresses from everyone everywhere everyone all over I can't I don't <laughs> even remember the, the everything everywhere all at once Woo, there we go all right you got it too much going on there they're all of them their respective different um speeches that they made were amazing all of them and by this time you it's hard not to know that they took off with a lot of what they were nominated for. So highly recommend that uh, if you're interested in those actors and actresses in particular, it's worth finding the clips on YouTube or wherever you might find them. I skipped through a lot of it, but I did watch things I was interested in. 
Also, forgot that it was just recently, just this year, that we lost Olivia Newton-John. And they had mm. John Travolta introducing the In Memoriam section. I'm like, why him? Why would... And then, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was very good. Very good. I always like the In Memoriam section. I think it's one of those things where you're like, you learn about people that you didn't realize that we lost in the year. And then think back about, wow, that's cool. I, it, it, it didn't seem like it was that recent, right? So also, uh, we've been keeping up with ghosts. That's as good as ever. Just a couple more episodes left in that season. We um, have also, uh, I have also uh, been watching Abbott Elementary, and I have a few episodes to go there. I've been watching Picard season three. I'm up to date on that. The Ready Room is the after show with Will Wheaton. Still watching that. Almost finished season one of The Courtship of Eddie's Father. And uh, Josh, I really, really, really wanted to watch season two again of Ted Lasso before watching season three. But I have a problem. And that problem is that as of when we're recording right now, tomorrow is Ted Lasso Day. And there's no way. I am not watching the premiere of season three tomorrow. There's no way that's not happening. <laughs> so I guess I'm not doing my rewatch. I guess not. Some other time. Some other yeah, time. Because it'll probably be like another five years before the next season. So you'll have plenty of time to rewatch all of this. It's unclear whether there will be another season. So yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, I have my Ted Lasso press background ready for my zoom calls tomorrow and i'll be wearing my ted lasso coach's jacket during my calls so yeah i'm all ready for ted lasso day i might need you to send that to me because (laughs) i also have a ted lasso coach's jacket all right good that's a really great idea (laughs) get some fizzy water that i can spit out all over my monitor Yeah, cool. How about you? What have you been doing in your entertainment center? N- not much that's interesting. Um I I still in the last week we did not watch any more Ted Lasso, so we are still very far behind on on our rewatch and I again played some Call of Duty and some NHL and a little bit of Last of Us. Probably should have played more Last of Us than I did. Uh and that that's it for like watching stuff and playing stuff. I last week talked about a book, The Making of a Manager, finished it. It's excellent. I don't buy books very often uh, because I just get them from the library and read them that way. When I really love a book, I buy it. I might be buying this book. It's that good. Uh, Also, I had a really long run to do yesterday and I needed something new to listen to to get me through it. So I asked Jen, Pick any any book, ideally fiction, in our Audible library for me to read. And uh, it was partly because I I couldn't remember the name of Project Hail Mary. I was just going to do that one because it's so good. Uh, but I couldn't mm. remember the name of it. So, uh, so I said, give me some options. And she recommended, uh, well, she gave me three options, Project Hail Mary. Um, she said, this one I don't think I've read yet. And so I don't know if it's any good. Uh, it, it's a book called This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends. 
I bought that one. That's why she doesn't know what it is. I bought it. It's not fiction. It is nonfiction about uh, a computer uh, malware and, and all of that sort of stuff. Excellent book that you should read if you're into computer security and things like that. Um, but the other one that she recommended was a book called Red Rising by the author Pierce Brown. She, uh, what she remembered about it wasn't even correct. It wasn't even fully accurate because it's been a while. But uh, it is a sci-fi-ish book uh, that's um, basically society has uh, been separated into classes of people uh, distinguished by colors. The reds are the miners that take place that live on Mars and are mining for resources to help terraform Mars so that the rest of Earth can eventually move there. And because they're miners, they're basically treated terribly. Uh, and it, I get the impression that this book is going to be about the miners rising up, hence the name Red Rising, uh, and, and all of the interesting stuff that comes from that. So I got quite a few chapters into that on my run yesterday and so far i'm really liking it i will let you know how it goes in the future it's short it's only for an audiobook it's like 16 hours it is a series so and i don't know how many other books are in the series i think three um another book that i might reread soon but i don't think we have it on on audio is um the silo series by hugh howie because right it was just announced in the last week. They're turning that into an Apple TV Plus series launching soon. Yeah. We loved those books. So highly, highly recommend that also. It's funny. Our friend of the show, John, had mentioned them to me as well. And I had never heard of the books. I didn't know about them, but I knew about the show. Mm. So that now I'm kind of interested. Also. Yeah. I think it's really funny that you think a 16-hour audio book is short because I don't think of that as short at all. That's a lot of my time. <laughs> well, but compare it to that uh, Steve Jobs book that you read. Yeah. I mean, that was close Wasn't to 20 like, hours. And oh, I thought that one was like 30-something. No, I don't think so. And okay. the And Harry's book was about 16 hours. And so, I, I mean, I think of that as kind of long actually but you know i don't read I, a lot i think for fiction it's on the shorter side a, a lot of the audiobook fiction that i've read has been in the the 20 to frankly between 20 and 40 hours oh oh wow yeah, yeah i don't even know that I, I i'd be too intimidated to start a 40 hour <laughs> book yeah the other thing is um i'm not great at distinguishing accents the narrator is either Scottish or Irish and has a fairly thick accent. So I cannot listen at 1.75x if I want to understand every word. Wait, so, wait. You listen to books at 1.75? It depends. Yes. Wow. And I, I know a lot of that'll piss off a lot of people because, wow. because fiction should be read, you know, at, at yeah, a specific, I don't yeah, care. Whatever. I don't care. No. <laughs> you push it to what you can actually intake, right? I mean, right. But wow, that's wow. A lot of that, and like I for for audiobooks, I fluctuate between one point five and one point seven five. It just depends on the talking pace of the narrator mm. and apparently their accent, because 
Yeah, like b- people with strong British or Irish or Scottish accents, a lot of times I kind of struggle a little bit uh, to to understand them super well, especially at speed. So sure. I think I was listening at 1.3x. <laughs> but your brain just generally must work faster than mine because <laughs> like 1.2 to 1.4 is my range. So you just got to build up to it. I, I didn't start here. You just got to build up to it. You, you could do it if you wanted to. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for what's going on in my entertainment center. We talked at the beginning of the show that if you want to find all of our contact information, you can find it over at www.thedigitalmediazone.com, where you can find our Twitter handles, our Mastodon handles, Instagram. All of that stuff is over there, including the email address. It's just Josh Pollard and Richard Gunther on all of those platforms, although you won't really find Richard on Twitter anymore. Uh, While you're there at the website, you'll get all of the show notes for everything that we talked about here, links to all of those stories that we covered if you want a little bit more details. And while you're there, you can check out Richard's other podcast. It's called Home On, and it's all about smart home technology from the DIY perspective. And Richard, you've had an episode recently and another one coming up soon. So what's going on with Home On? Yeah, of course, the current episode that's out there is with the co-founder of Insteon Technologies and uh, thank many thanks to them. Actually, they linked to our episode in their latest email blast that they sent out to all their customers. So hopefully, we get a couple new listeners from that. And later this week, I am recording with Dustin Bogus. He is a YouTuber who has a YouTube channel about HomeKit stuff. And as I mentioned, he is legally blind. So we're going to talk about accessibility in the smart home. Awesome. Cannot wait for that. All right. And then we also stream this show live on Twitch. So you can follow us on Twitch. Also, if you follow us on social media, we will normally tweet or post or whatever uh, a, a couple hours prior to the show to give you some heads up. But once you get here, just subscribe to us on, on Twitch and it will notify you as soon as we go live. Typically, we try to do this on Tuesday nights around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. All right, well, that's good. we did that this time. We did. We did. Yeah, Tuesday at 8.30. We just needed daylight saving time to get our... No, that's not true. We hate daylight saving time. Hate it. (laughs) No. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 616. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.